This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. What's one way to dispel racism? An author says racism can be disrupted one friendship at a time. Most people would say racism is that member of the Ku Klux Klan, that member of the white nationalist group, and that's the limited nature of their definition of racism. And what ends up happening from that perspective is that we set a really low bar for our conduct. Then, a top psychiatrist says America is having a mental health crisis. Many who need help are ending up in prisons or on the streets. We've taken them from the asylum. We've put them in the streets, the jails, from one bad institution to, I would say, a worse institution. Those two stories and more are ahead on this week's show. Stay with us. InfoTrack begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. How can racism be eradicated from our society? An author says we should deal with it one friendship at a time. Here with the story, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Our country's racial divide may be greater than ever. Perhaps many Americans feel powerless to change that. But a new book argues we can attack racism one by one. Joining us now is Tisha Hadra, co-author of Black and White, Disrupting Racism One Friendship at a Time. Ms. Hadra, if people have never made friends across racial lines, how do you recommend they get started? It really does begin with an awareness the reality is that I think for a lot of people in the United States, they sort of have existed in what really are bubbles of sameness. And you can begin to not notice the water that you're even swimming in. And so part of the initial work is to begin to pay attention, to notice the ways that you are sort of existing in this bubble and then begin to notice opportunities. Because I believe that if we particularly if we pray for them, that God will present them to us. Look for opportunities to sort of step outside of that sameness and connect with people whose experience may have been different from yours. How do you break down the possible barrier of someone saying, well, I'm happy the way I am. Thank you. I don't need any more friends. Well, you know, I think part of the paradigm shift that needs to happen, particularly when it comes to matters of race in America, is sort of holding those issues at arm's length. There's a sense in which, in our sort of individualistic way of thinking, we kind of come to believe that if it doesn't affect me personally, then it must not matter. And there's a sense in which we have to kind of shift out of that and begin to see the world from other people's perspective and begin to cultivate a kind of empathy that allows us to sort of look at one another more in terms of family. For example, I mean, I have a younger sister and if someone were treating her unfairly, I don't know that there would be any doubt in my mind or anyone else's mind that I would have some responsibility to do something about that. In fact, I would feel a sense of internal, like something in my gut would be driving me to do something about that. Now, you have many interesting stories of this sort of thing, relationships across racial lines, either changing people or informing their views. Let's take two of those first. 
You mentioned David Brown, the African-American police chief of Dallas who dealt with the murder of five police officers in 2016. The shooter specifically set out to kill as many white cops as he could in payback for white officers killing blacks. Now, Brown had a unique experience as a child. So tell us about that and how it informed his comments on those murders. Right. So his experience was one where he had... I guess I would say that they were sort of a positive experience of people who were different from him, people who looked different from him, opening their spaces, opening their homes, opening their lives to him in ways that were transformational. And then what we see then is that that sort of resulted in this gentleman really leading out in his community in tangible ways that really kind of shifted the conversation in his context. And that's one of the things that we talk about in the book. We never wanted to imply that if people of different races would just kind of get around a table and have more coffees, that everything would be better. But we did want to say that that is a place to begin. And that from that starting point, we just never know what can happen. That from that place, people can really be motivated and compelled to action, to really engage in their cities and their communities in intangible ways to impact the systemic aspects of racism, much like David Brown did in his context. We're visiting with Tisha Hedra, co-author of a new book, Black and White, Disrupting Racism, One Friendship at a Time. Another fascinating story involves Daryl Davis, a black man who tries to make friends with Ku Klux Klan members. How does he get started just speaking with the Klan? Well, you know, his story is such an interesting one. I think it's one that we ought to look at and sort of celebrate for sure the ways that he was able to enter into what is really hostile territory. But he did so by going in with a posture of humility, by really going in and seeking to learn and understand. It is important to say, though, that Man, not all of us are going to be called to that kind of work, right? That not all of us are going to be called behind enemy lines in that particular way. But there should be some space for sort of looking at that and seeing the value and being able to learn from the ways that he was able to exhibit a certain amount of openness to be able to go into such an environment. But he did achieve some results in terms of changing people, did he not? Absolutely. And I think part of that work is that when we can go in and sort of be unexpected in our posture, that that kind of takes people off guard, right? And then all of a sudden the walls can begin to crumble down and people can begin to have some real deep conversations about what might be underlying those attitudes. That kind of dovetails with my next question because your proposed discussion questions in your book for each reader and their self-examination, one of them is, did you ever experience a racially charged incident, and if so, what happened? So tell us, what kinds of insights might a person gain from answering that question? The insights really, it sort of goes both ways, because there is something vulnerable and sort of exposing about a person saying, let me tell you about an incredibly humiliating time in my life. But the person who is listening and sort of receiving that story then has an opportunity because they can respond in multiple ways. They can respond by saying, well, surely you misinterpreted that incident 
or that really doesn't sound as terrible as things that I've heard on the news. So what are you really complaining about? Or the person can respond with deep listening and take on that posture of humility and curiosity and really seek to understand the person's experience and pain. And then what can happen between those two people is that they then become more deeply bound to one another. And then you begin to see the cultivation of the kind of empathy that can lead a community, that can lead groups of people toward action and toward an action that's actually rooted in a sense of love and care and consideration for their neighbors. And that really is sort of our hope in writing the book, that people would seek out friendships, would seek out relationships, and that they would allow those relationships to shape them and mold them and change them and move them toward action. Do you believe there's too much finger pointing in America, the idea that racial problems are all caused by the other guy? So do enough people realize that anyone can be racist? I don't think enough people realize that. The reality is that because we have this very limited definition of racism, for example, I think most people would say, well, okay, racism is that member of the Ku Klux Klan, that member of the white nationalist group, and that's sort of the limited nature of their definition of racism. And what ends up happening from that perspective is that we set a really low bar for our conduct because then our ethics are guided by, well, as long as I don't. As long as I don't use racial epithets, as long as I don't bring physical harm to people or property because of their race, then I'm not part of the problem. But the reality is that racism is a lot broader than that. It's sort of in the air that we breathe as Americans. It exists in our laws and in our systems. And so good people well-meaning people, perfectly nice people can passively participate in racism just by being unaware of it. So there is a need for people to expand their definition of racism and then look at the ways that racism operates systemically in the very places where they have power and influence to change those things. Tisha Hadra, co-author of Black and White, Disrupting Racism, One Friendship at a Time. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. Next, helping the mentally ill find the help they need. That story, coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this.